0: Good evening, everyone. Please open your Bibles with me. Tonight we will be in Exodus chapter 12, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. I'm going to give you a few seconds to get your Bibles open. Exodus chapter 12. For those of you using the Pew Bible, it is page 53, page 53. Exodus chapter 12. The Passover. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on that tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation. Of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and in the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of, the, of it remain until the morning. Anything re- that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. All right. Thank you, Mike.
1: You know, years ago, I think it was early 1980s, uh, up in central New York, in the little town that I grew up in, you know, 600 people in that town, 1,300 if you bring in all the farmers, small little town. But it was founded by a guy named Admiral De Ryder from Holland. And so in the early 80s, I think it was 1983, they began making plans because they were going to commemorate the anniversary of Admiral Derrider's founding of our little town. And we were expecting an upper amount of 60 or so thousand people descending on that little town. And by the time it was done, I think we might have had uh, maybe 600 or 700 people. But the whole festival feel the environment was electric i still remember it to this day it was so exciting that we were having a festival in our little town of dirrider new york Well, we're going to be looking at some festivals. We're going to look at three of them, and they take place on the Jewish calendar. You can see it on that screen. They are detailed in Leviticus 23. God gave Israel seven festivals that they were to keep each year. And the first four of them take place in the spring. The first three of the four take place within three days of each other. And the early summer uh, was the fourth of those four. And then the rest of them are going to take place, or we're going to take place in the fall. The ones in the spring have already been fulfilled. The ones in the fall are yet to be fulfilled. And the ones that we're going to look at over the next three weeks. Today is Passover. Next week, Lord willing, Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then on April 9th, when we gather at the State Theater... Resurrection Sunday morning, what some call Easter, we're gonna be looking at the Festival of First Fruits. And each of these are going to reveal, all seven of them, by the way, will reveal aspects of the ministry and the person of Jesus. And we'll answer the question why he came to us. What we're gonna see is who Jesus is through these feasts, particularly three of them. Now, you just heard Mike read Exodus chapter 12, 1 through 11, but I want you to flip forward a little bit to verse 26, Exodus chapter 12, verse 26. Can you look at that with me? Because here God is instructing Jewish fathers how to answer their children when they ask this question, what do you mean, Father, by this service? What do you mean by the Passover? That's what the children are going to ask. And God instructed the fathers how to answer. Fathers, by the way, if you're listening online or if you're here, you do not need to figure out fatherhood. Yes, there are a lot of areas of fatherhood that you need to apply wisdom to, but there's a whole lot of fatherhood that the Word of God addresses. And here God very simply, very succinctly tells fathers, here's how you answer your children when they ask, what do you mean by the service? Verse 27, you shall say, does it get any more succinct than this, more clear, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our homes, our houses. So what we're going to do each week, and particularly today, is unpack that question. What do you mean by this service? What do we mean by the Passover, by the festival of unleavened bread, by the feast of first fruits? We're going to unpack that, and I've got a few things to tell you about the Passover, and we're going to start right into it. So I think you're going to learn a lot And I hope that it'll start to really encourage you and who Jesus is to know who he is and to live out the truths you're about to hear. Number one, all people are in need of forgiveness. All people are in need of forgiveness. Now, you're in Exodus 12, let's all get in your Bibles. Look at verse one, so I'm looking at everybody, I wanna make sure everybody has their Bible open even if you're young. And if you're so young, you're struggling with the reading, parents, you can whisper to them, you can point out with your finger where we are, but let's every single one of us get in our Bibles, we are a a church that preaches and seeks to live God's word. Here we go, verse 1, Exodus 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, and this is directly from the Lord, this month shall be for you the the beginning of months, It shall be the first month of the year for you. Now, when God spoke that, this month in which Passover was held was not the beginning of their calendar. God said, This is so important that I want you to redo your calendar, and this is going to be the beginning of your religious calendar. So now we're in what we will talk about a little bit later, the month of Nisan. This is the month, it's March, April, it changes because they are on a lunar calendar. And God says, this is now going to be, this Passover, this month, going to be the beginning of your religious calendar. It's how important this festival is. Because in the Passover, I'm just going to tell you very plainly, God made a way to save his people from his judgment. Did you hear that? You see, Passover is all about God made a way to save his people from his judgment and his wrath that he was sending on Egypt. It's easy to understand, by the way, and I think you'll agree with this, it's easy to understand why God was so angry with Egypt. They had mercilessly enslaved his people, and they were making things even more difficult. But look at verse 5 of chapter 11. You might have to flip your page back. Look at chapter 11, verse 5. This is extremely important. If you'd like to underline your Bible, I would encourage you to underline it. Verse 5 does not say, now look, look what it does not say. It does not say every firstborn of the land of Egypt will die, because then it would be talking about the Egyptians. It says rather every firstborn in the land of Egypt. That little preposition is wildly important. It's the firstborn of both Egypt and Israel. They had fallen under the judgment of God, who at midnight will visit every home in the land of Egypt to strike the firstborn son and the firstborn among the animals. No firstborn is going to escape the judgment of God unless they obey by faith what God is about to tell them. You see, now let me unpack that just a little bit more. And this is so important. Remember, the point here is that every person is in need of the forgiveness of God. The terrible truth is this. There are no innocent people. There are no guiltless people. Now I want you to really, really think about that for a moment. Because you might be here, number one, having heard this so many times that you're sort of like numb to it. And I want to bring it from the back of your mind back to the front of your mind. I want you to look at it very straight on like I had to this week and like I am right now. But there might be some of us here, let's just be really honest, that don't feel very much in need of forgiveness. Yes, we mess up every once in a while, but it's not that big of a deal. You're really a pretty good person in comparison to really bad people. The terrible truth is there are no innocent people. There are no guiltless people. In fact, Joshua is going to write later. You can see it on the screen, of the sin of Israel while they were in Egypt. Look what he writes. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. You ought to underline that. And serve the Lord. Even in Egypt as slaves, God's people were serving other gods. They had idols that they were bowing down to. See, the Apostle Paul really is right. No one is righteous in Romans 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that is repeated over and over in the Bible. There are no innocent people. Now, let's settle. Well, we're not going to settle it, but let's at least talk about something a little bit more deeply. People often wonder, why does God make such a big deal of sin? Why does he make such a big deal of sin? Have you ever asked that? Would you be able to answer that, Christian brother and sister? Well, we're not going to go too far in our answer. Time will not allow it, but let me at least address a little bit of it. Here is what sin is. It is your heart or my heart saying saying that I will not accept God as my master. I will rule in his place. Now, every single sin is saying that. Whether you're aware of it or not, that's really truly what your heart is saying. In fact, most fundamentally, sin is a rebel's war cry. And it's a war cry against God. Even when that sin is played out, towards somebody else. It is vertical at its deepest point. It is a war cry against God. It is the rejection of his sovereignty. It is a refusal to live life by the will of God. It is a saying goodbye to him who is the rightful giver of life. The result of sin is always death. Death. Well, it's just not what the Bible says. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 for the wages of sin is death. It earns a paycheck. Just like you earn a paycheck when you go to work. We all have earned a paycheck because of that rebellion, that war cry against God, that usurping of his rightful rule, that unplugging from him, that saying goodbye to him who is the giver of life. We've all earned the same paycheck. In fact, your paycheck is not in greater amount than my paycheck. It all buys the same thing, death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our lord so you see god brought that penalty to bear in egypt both israel and egypt had earned a paycheck called death they deserved his judgment they deserved his wrath it was coming But look what God said in verse 12, Exodus 12, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both Egyptian and Israel, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, Yahweh. The situation is bleak. Indeed, for both Israel and Egypt, but point number two, God provided a way to save sinners. Not only is it true that all people are in need of forgiveness, but that's the bad news. The good news is this, that God provided a way to save sinners. Now, Christian, I want to address you for a moment. Those of you who know that you have put your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So I want to I just address you for a moment. We all, me included, we all like to skip the bad news of the gospel. The gospel does mean good news. But we all like to, to skip the bad news when we are sharing the good news of the gospel with people. But I've got to tell you something, and I hope you listen. The good news doesn't look so good if the bad news doesn't look so bad. It's the incredibly terrible plight that the bad news shouts that judgment is coming for every sinner that compels and impels and moves people to the only source of salvation there is. And that salvation is, as we're going to see in a moment, Jesus, the Passover lamb. Listen to the good news because Moses and Aaron were commanded to share the good news with Israel. Look at verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, that is Nisan, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb... Then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Now, by the time when Jesus arrives on earth, that count the Jewish leaders definitively made clear was 10 people per lamb. The rule was on Passover that there was 10 people for each lamb. But in Exodus 12, God commanded one household per lamb. But for a very small family, let's just say you've been married for a few years and you've got two children and your parents have passed away. So you've got four of you. He said, well, then you need to grab your nearest neighbor and you need to eat that lamb together. So you invite a neighbor. And you know what? There's a gospel lesson there, isn't it? See, the nation of Israel was a small nation It was an undesirable people. And here we see already the gospel's trajectory. It will go beyond Israel. It's going to go all to the nations. It's going to go all over the world. There's going to be everybody of every nation invited into salvation when he would offer the Lamb of God, his son, Jesus See, God gave the Lord's Passover, that's the title, verse 23, to save sinners from what? The destroyer. Some call him the angel of death. He commanded them, God did, to select a male lamb. It had to be a male lamb, one year old. Could not be one of your old ones that you want to get rid of anyways. It needs to be in the prime of life and remove that lamb from the rest of the flock on the tenth of Nisan, that's March, April, and make that lamb holy. That's what the word holy means. It means to be taken apart, set apart, put into a distinct category. That lamb was to be made holy unto God. And here's what they would do. And I want you to really think through this for a moment. They would take that lamb out of the flock. The father would select it. And they would bring that one-year-old lamb. And the lambs in Israel, by the way, are not the lambs size-wise in America and Australia. They're rather large. These are very small lambs. And they would bring that lamb into their home like a pet. Fathers would carry the lamb instructed to do this on his shoulders when he went around from Pen to home and house to pen. The children would play with the lamb as it was a dog. Here's why. They were to have an affection for it. This is very deliberate. They were to fall in love with the lamb... So that when four days later that lamb had to be sacrificed, they would feel the awful responsibility. Something innocent, something beautiful had to die for my ugliness, my rebellion, my war cry against God. They were to be struck with shame and guilt. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 15 says, they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed. They were ashamed. Something innocent has to die because of my guilt. Christian brother and sister, how often do you let that shame wash over you? As we approach Passover and Resurrection Sunday, there is a rightness, as there is every time we approach the Lord's Supper, that someone innocent had to die for me, my choices, my actions, my heart of rebellion. To strip the Lord's Supper, to strip the Passover out of the emotional weight and pain is to approach God purely rationally. And that is not a very compelling way for righteous living. Well, that lamb that was chosen by the Father must have no blemish, Exodus 12 says, selected on the 10th day of Nisan, sacrificed on the 14th day, And the father, the family representative, killed the lamb and collected its blood in a bowl. And then he took a bunch of ever-present hyssop, dipped it into the blood, painted the sides of the doorway to his house and over the top, that's the lintel, Then began to roast the lamb over charcoal, and while the lamb was roasting, he instructed as per Moses and Aaron's instructions to gather their belongings, put on their traveling clothes. They ate the lamb standing up because it was going to be time to leave Egypt in haste. In fact, look at verse 11. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. And they were to eat the lamb... With two other articles of food on their plate. One was unleavened bread and the other was bitter herbs. And leaven, all through the Bible, is a symbol of sin, the spreading, corrupting, pride exalting, rising heart of an arrogant, prideful person. That's what leaven often symbolizes in the Bible. So they were to have unleavened bread, bread that did not rise, bread that stayed flat. Speaking of the purity of the sacrificial lamb. Declaring that the lamb was without blemish. And then they were to have bitter herbs. Why? It communicated when you ate of it, very viscerally, very physically, through your taste buds. The lamb that died, the one that we had become attached to, the affection that we had for the lamb, had to die for me. What a bitterness of emotion that would create It was roasted to convey the fiery wrath of God. It could not be boiled. It conveyed that that wrath and that judgment fell on that innocent lamb rather than on his people. The lamb became the substitute. And on that night, God's wrath, which he cannot just let go because he wants to, it must find an object his wrath and his justice met together that night in Egypt. And the only thing that was going to save any of them was the blood of the lamb. But let's explore that for just a few moments, can we? And this is far more important than you might even realize at first blush. But the blood of those lambs, it had no peculiar sin-atoning power in itself You spill a drop of that lamb's blood, didn't sizzle on the soil because it was holy, nor did any of the blood of the millions of sacrifices offered throughout the centuries have any peculiar sin-atoning power. But you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. We need to explore that for a little bit. Well, here's what Hebrews 10:4 says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats or lambs to take away sin. It could not take away sin. But you might be very familiar with the Old Testament. You might be thinking right now, well, wait a minute. Doesn't Leviticus 17.11 tell us that the life of the flesh is in the blood and God says, I have given it for you to make what? Atonement for your soul. Doesn't that mean that sins are taken away? Friend, for nearly 1,400 years before Jesus offered himself, As a sacrifice, before Hebrews was written, untold numbers of sacrifices were given, and all they could ever do, and I want you to hear this, was cover the sins of the people. It never could take them away. It was a band-aid on sin, if you will. And they had to be repeated again and again because the people would sin again and again, just like you, just like me. And every one of these innocent animals that were killed is shouting to anyone who had faith to hear, there's a better lamb coming. There's the lamb of God who will take away sin forever. But that lamb is not yet here. So Hebrews 10 Powerfully says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, his own self, for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being Sanctified. You see, it's in that mindset, it is with that truth, that John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you see how superior Jesus is to any sacrifice before? Well, it leads us then to our third and final point, and by far our most important one, and it's this, the way to be saved is by faith in Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Passover lamb. See, Jewish people all over the world, and by the way, you'll want to know this if you have Jewish co workers or friends or neighbors, they're going to be celebrating Passover starting the evening of April 5th. But what does the word Passover even mean? I haven't even defined it for you yet. You might want to say, well, Passover means it was the night that the angel passed over. What your English teacher told you just like he or she told me. can't use the word of the definition, right? So we've got to come up with a better definition, actually a more accurate definition. And it's amazing when you find out what it really means. Passover means to spread wings over. It has an understanding that God protects his people. You get to hear of this protection in Psalm 94, verse 1. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. You see, now listen, this is so important. I really want you to listen. I want you to hear. I want you to bring this down into your heart. It was not merely that the angel passed by blood-painted houses. It is way bigger than that. It's way beautiful, more beautiful than that. It's that the Lord himself stood at each door that was painted by the lamb's blood to guard and protect and shelter his people. He's shouting, this household is mine. Christian, do you understand that the moment you placed your faith and trust in Jesus, your Passover lamb. God sheltered you under his wings. He stands perpetually on guard over you. He never takes a break, he never walks away for a while, he never will fail in his protection. He's always vigilant, he's always faithful to you. We've been freed by Jesus, brought into his kingdom and placed under God's protection. Well, maybe it would be a little bit more helpful to us to actually follow the events of Thursday morning, the day before Jesus was crucified. Can we do that? Well, you don't really have an option because I'm going to do that, and you're here along for the ride, so let's do it together. He sent, Jesus did, Peter. He's out in Bethphage. He's on the Mount, just over the Mount of Olives, which is just two miles from Jerusalem. He sends Peter and John into Jerusalem to arrange the Passover meal. Now, I'm going to skip a lot of details because what I'm going to share with you is so fascinating. The Jewish day began at sundown, not like us. Our day begins 1201, right after midnight. That's when the new day starts. But for the Jewish people, the new days, noon day started at sundown when the first three stars appeared in the night sky. So while the Passover lamb was killed Thursday in the afternoon between 2 and 5, it was eaten after sundown that evening, which is the start of Friday, the 15th of Nisan. So Peter and John, they went into the city. They have a male lamb trailing behind them, or they are planning to go to the market in the court of Gentiles to pick up the lamb that they selected the Monday before when they were there. Don't you remember when Jesus cleaned out the temple? They climbed the 15 steps, Fifteen steps to get up to the court of Gentiles with all the throngs of people, all divided by the priests into three shifts of worshipers. They had three shifts. They had so many people there. And the gates would open and shift one would go in. The gates would close behind them and shifts two and three would be out in the court of Gentiles or the court of women. The final and third shift, oddly enough, interestingly, was called the lazy bones shift. I'm not making that up. For they had waited to the final moment, usually by design, because that was going to be the smallest crowd. Peter and John took their lamb through the court of women and into the court of Israel, separated from the court of priests by a low rail. That was as far as an Israelite can go. An Israelite male could go if they weren't a priest. They could not go down onto the floor where the altar and the bronze laver and the tabernacle were. They could go to the rail. Normally, there were 600,000 residents of Jerusalem, but it swelled to 2 million at Passover. Host families, by the way, were forbidden to charge rent. So visitors would often bring them gifts instead. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote that 256,000 lambs were sacrificed at a typical Passover festival. Can you imagine that? The greatest wish of all Jewish men, listen, you need to know this, this made their hearts sore to think of walking into the court of Israel with their lamb to sacrifice at the Passover, and it would be every sense employed, visually With your nose to smell the incense and the smoke from the altar, your ears, because there would be a great Levitical choir of hundreds of priests singing throughout the sacrifice. And it was antiphonal singing, meaning that they sang a line from Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, and then the people would respond with the same line. It's antiphonal singing. And these songs make up what's called the Hallel, which is the roots of hallelujah, which we all know. It's a a word that means praise in Hebrew. And included are these prophetic lines of psalm, of song. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There would be no clearer song more fitting for Jesus, the Passover lamb who had come to save his people. Meanwhile, hundreds of priests stand in lines all the way from the rail back to the altar, line after line, holding gold and silver bowls. Peter and John arrived at that rail with their lamb, that one-year-old male lamb. One of them would have been handed a knife from the priest. And when the shofar, that's a ram's horn, blew a triple blast with the Levitical choir singing. One of them, either Peter or John, whoever wielded the knife, plunged it into the lamb's throat while a priest captured its blood as its heart pumped it out of its body. Now blood would be in a gold or silver bowl and that blood was never allowed to coagulate, so it quickly was handed down the line where there was a priest at the altar splashing it against the base of the altar where it would flow down into a hole or a conduit that went under the wall of Jerusalem, the wall of the temple, down into the Kidron Valley. So much blood, Josephus said it turned it red for days, that brook. See, once again, the horror. There's something innocent has to die for sin-guilty people would bring such shame. Priests were a lot of things, among which professional butchers. Under a minute, they could hang a dead lamb on a hook, skin it, remove its entrails and the fatty portions which were salted and put into a bowl and passed to the priest at the altar and thrown onto the altar, but the rest of the lamb was to be eaten, and it would be wrapped in its own skin and returned to Peter and John, who put a carrying pole between it and carried it back to the upper room where they would put it on a portable clay Passover oven and begin roasting it over the charcoal. Going up over all of Jerusalem would be the smell of roasted lamb, and they were always spitted by pomegranate wood, which had a unique fragrance, and went all over the air, all over the area. And as evening came, the start of the 15th of Nisan, now it's the new day. Jesus and the rest of his disciples arrived in the feast of redemption, was about to begin, which we will look closely at, Lord willing, next week. Now, why did I tell you all of that? Is it starting to descend down into your soul? The responsibility that you and I have for the death of Jesus I need to tell you that if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, you are still under the wrath and judgment of God. It will come your way one day. It will arrive in your life. But there is a sacrifice. It's not an animal lamb. It is the lamb of God. His name is Jesus. And this is why Paul proclaimed in 1 Corinthians, for Christ, our Passover lamb, Has been sacrificed. His blood can be painted on the doors of your hearts if you would just but believe. Today, if anyone was to ask you, what do you mean by this service, the Passover, you can simply answer God provided a lamb to save you. But you must, by faith, paint its blood on the doors of your heart. And if you do, the Almighty God himself will spread his wings over you, and you will be protected from his wrath and his judgment. You will be forgiven, and you will be given life Have you done that? Can you be honest? If you're thinking, well, I'm a good person, it's not enough. If you're thinking, well, I believe and I do good works and together they're going to save me, no, anything added to Jesus will not result in salvation. It is by the blood of the Lamb alone. Do you believe that? If not, I would invite you to believe. Be obedient by faith and call out to Jesus, your Passover lamb, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for my rebellion, my war cry, my unplugging from you? And would you give me life? And I can tell you what God will surely do. His wings will unfurl and they will cover you for eternity. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, as we just now begin to look at these three Jewish festivals, and we just begin to look at the very first of the three, and they're all three going to happen within three days of each other. And Lord, we're going to see that they are cumulative, and each shows us an aspect in the ministry of your Son, Jesus. Father, would you let us see these things with the eyes of faith? And Father, if there's anybody here, anybody listening to this that does not yet believe, Father, would you give them the faith to believe? It is your gift. And let them call out to Jesus, the Lamb of God. And by faith, paint the blood of the Son on the doorposts of their hearts. And the wings of the Almighty, the Passover, will be upon them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.